coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday to you. Let's start with some breaking news. Well, it may not be breaking by the time you hear it, but it's breaking as I start on today's show, which isn't actually all that far from when the show airs live, 5 to 6 p.m. on the... I say live. That's that's radio jargon. I'm sorry. It first airs 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app and on AmericaOneRadio.com. CBS News is reporting that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis plans to announce he's running. He's in. He's going to do it. He's going to run for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Now, he plans to make this announcement with a video rollout, a launch video, and then a live Q&A tomorrow night starting at 6 p.m. Eastern with Elon Musk. <laughs> Uh, NBC News, by the way, was the first to report this. How about that? CBS given NBC. All right. Look at that. A little journalistic integrity. In a society where we're finding that there's not a whole lot of journalistic integrity left, sadly, especially on the local end. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, Those of you who listen to the show routinely know that I rely a lot on local journalism. The AJC is... And a journal constitution owned by Cox Media is uh, the standard bearer when it comes to print journalism in the city of Atlanta and throughout the state of Georgia. And yet they're not without their flaws. And don't get me wrong, I like Patricia Murphy, I think the world of Greg Bluestein, the beat reporters, the beat writers, most of them are fantastic people, but you got to call out some issues with bias when you see it and in the local issue that is the atlanta police training facility aka cop city targeted to be built in southwest decab the ajc and their parent company well their parent company is a donor to the atlanta police foundation and so the implication of impropriety already exists and It doesn't even appear as if the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, especially their opinion writers and their headline makers, even try to shield their bias. And that's unfortunate. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And actually, a scenario that I think kind of crosses the line. Like, are there people on the AJC staff calling employers of those that disagree with them on Twitter? That's the implication being made. And then I saw an exchange that was just churlish, just petty, beyond all reason, involving AJC op-ed writer Bill Torpy. Come on, man. I like you guys. I like this paper. I've, it's, been, it's been the newspaper that I've kept my eyes on since I was a kid. When I was a little boy putting together community newsletters back in my hometown. When I was editor of the high school newspaper back at Harlem High School, your 2023 Class 3A state baseball champion, Harlem Bulldogs, the AJC was what I looked up to. This this just makes me sad. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But again, the breaking news. Wow, I just went off on that tangent, didn't I? I actually like when I go off on tangents because it, it, it means that I've filled time There are days I just don't have a whole lot to go on, and then I go off on these tangents and I fill time. Anyway, the headline, the breaking news of the the day politically is that 
Elon Musk gets to lob softballs live on Twitter tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern, as Ron DeSantis rolls out his launch video and announces that he is running for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Yesterday, it was Tim Scott. Hello, Mom, Justin! That was... That was... It was Tim yesterday uh, announcing that he's running for president from North Charleston. Uh, remember that episode of the Brady Bunch when the Brady's, the, the kids became something of a pop act and Peter's voice was changing. <laughs> That's what immediately came to mind when I saw that clip. Oh, bless him. Uh, Tim Scott's actually like, I think all in all a pretty nice guy. If I had to vote for a Republican, like if it's a Republican versus a communist, a puppy killer, yeah, Tim Scott's going to get my vote. That's about the only scenario where I see myself voting for Tim Scott. But Tim Scott's a nice guy. We disagree ideologically on 98.9% of just about any political issue that comes up. But he's a nice guy and he's a good story. I'm happy to see that the GOP has options like Tim Scott. Even, to some extent, like Nikki Haley. Chris Christie's been hinting that he's going to jump in, cannonball, into the race pretty soon. The GOP is doing exactly what they did in 2016 that cleared the path for Donald Trump to win the nomination, though. It's nice to have options. No doubt about it. It's nice to have options. But when you have a dozen options other than Donald Trump, the folks that don't want Donald Trump to... And by the way, remember, we just talked about polling a few days ago here in Georgia. Donald Trump doesn't have 50% of Georgia's voters choosing him right now. I think it was like 6% undecided. DeSantis was second by like 8 percentage points, I think. It was like 32, 28, something like that. And everybody else was in the single digits. Brian Kemp was in that poll, but he hasn't announced he's going to run. I think he was around 7% in his own state. But most states don't poll the same way. And we know, of course, that Brad Raffensperger and Governor Kemp chose not to move Georgia up the calendar uh, for primaries in 2024. So Georgia won't get to be that first statement state if the 68% of Georgia Republicans who want to choose somebody other than Donald Trump coalesce around somebody other than Donald Trump, or at least in a larger number than the 32%. I think it was 32% that he polls in the state of Georgia. Was it 32? See, now I'm going to have to go look it up. Pause. Oh, I had it wrong. Donald Trump polls at 40%. DeSantis at 32%. I had the 8% gap right, but had everything else just slightly wrong. Anyway, Georgia is one of the few states where Donald Trump polls below 50% in GOP primary polling. And some of that has to do with there being no other clear combatant, but I think once DeSantis announces, he might be it. And then there's that big gob of Republican voters that want somebody... I don't know, compassionate conservativity, you know, George W. Bushy, Jeb Bushy. 
dare I even say, Mike Pincy? The problem is when one guy just in Georgia gets 40% and you've got 7, 8, 10, 11, 12 others all vying for the other 60, that's when you wind up with a bunch of single-digit folks and Donald Trump does exactly as he did in 2016, gets all the delegates by winning by plurality. Not majority, but by plurality. And let me say this. I say don't stoop to their level. I don't care much for seeing people call Tim Scott Uncle Tim, a play on the term Uncle Tom. I don't like that. We're better than that on the left. Let's let's be better than that on the left. Just like I don't like that people call Nikki Nimrata, which was her birth name. She goes by Nikki. She markets herself as Nikki. So call her Nikki. Bobby Jindal marketed himself as Bobby Jindal, not Payush, his birth name. So go with that. Call him Bobby Jindal. I used to, listen, I am guilty. I'm raising my left hand. Me, call me out. I used to be guilty of that. I used to be guilty of reminding people that Bobby Jindal's born name wasn't Bobby. And I've since matured and decided it's time to time to grow up, time to be mature. What's on my birth certificate isn't what this show is named after. It's close. My family used to call me Ronnie. And I don't know why, but for some reason, like in social media com- combat and whatnot, people like to just use that, oh, Ronnie. Like it's somehow diminutive or something or belittles me. I don't know. It's silly. So yeah, none of the Uncle Tim stuff. No Nimrata. Um, Raphael is Ted, but Ted Cruz is Ted Cruz. Let's, let's, let's stay above board on this stuff, okay? As far as I know, Ron DeSantis' name is still Ron DeSantis. Okay, cool. I have to admit, it's hard not to say Marjorie Trailer Queen, Lauren Bobo, Bobert. It's hard. It's 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 hard. But I'm I'm trying, and I'm encouraging others to try. To be- by the way, Lauren Bobert almost sounded somewhat intelligent and approachable at a hearing earlier this week. Can I can I play you this audio? I, it it kind of stunned me. I'm not gonna lie. Go. Do you see that patients leave their prescri- prescriptions at pharmacies because they can no longer pay for it? They absolutely do in my pharmacy, yes. That, that happens um, more, more than should make anyone comfortable. I, I actually have a fun little story. My staff is probably going to talk to me about this later. But uh, I left a prescription at a pharmacy once. Um, I went to get um, birth control. Mm. And um, I was there at the counter and went to pay for it. And um, the, the price was very, very high. I said, wow, is this a three, six-month prescription? No, ma'am, this is one month. And I said, it's cheaper to have a kid. And I left it there. And now I have my third son, Caden Bobert. Um, and so I'm actually, it was, a, it was turned out to be a really great thing. But um, I, I personally experienced that um, when times were tough. But um, thank you so much for your indulgence there. And talk to the team about that comment later. <laughs> okay, first of all, why does Lauren Bobert sound human, congenial? That's not what we're used to. Uh, by the way, she also made the case for the Affordable Care Act because birth control, being preventative, is free. She also makes a solid case that it's good that Medicare now isn't blocked from negotiating drug prices. Both of those, by the way, Democratic wins. And I should point out, well, a couple of things. Uh, Caden is apparently older 
than 14 because the ACA, of course, was signed into law and went into effect in 2009, 2010. So he's older than 13 or 14. Don't really know how old Caden is, but he apparently predated the ACA. And by the way, during her campaign, when she first ran, she argued for the repeal of the Affordable Care Act, which would have made sure that her birth control, when she was looking for it back then, wouldn't have cost her a dime at that pharmacy. Just going to point that out. Again, Democratic wins. Because if you listen to me, you know that I like to point out that in this two-party system that we have, we have two options when it comes to the ballot, when it comes to governance. One party likes to govern and actually gets things done, even with the obstruction from the right. And it may only be like 65% of what the American people want and or need because of the obstruction on the other side from the other party. So one party governs with some responsibility while the other tries to sabotage. In my opinion, it's a sales pitch that Democrats don't make saliently enough and should more often. Back after this on The Ron Show, America One Radio. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So this story's not getting nearly enough traction, even locally, certainly not nationally, but an inmate in the Fulton County Jail, according to an independent autopsy, was riddled with bed bugs. And according to this independent autopsy, his death in a Fulton County jail was caused by neglect. He suffered from untreated schizophrenia. Records show that there was minimal documentation of treatment. A significant gap, the independent autopsy says, for his mental illness. For those reasons, it is the opinion of this forensic pathologist that Mr. LaShawn Thompson died due to severe neglect. Those are the findings of Dr. Roger Mitchell, a board-certified forensic pathologist and chair of pathology at Howard University. Listen uh, to LaShawn's Aunt Mamie Norman at a press conference about a month ago. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, I want to paint a picture. Mm-hmm. And the picture is that LaShawn laid in a jail cell. Can you imagine no, bugs crawling all over him? No. He's streaming and he's hollering. Oh, no. And nobody come to help him. Now, he's mental, so maybe you don't care because that's what he is. Maybe that's why. I don't know why, but that's what happened. I looked at the pictures, and I can see bugs in his eyes, bugs in his ears, bugs in his nose. When we got the body, we looked, and we was wondering, my God. The funeral man say, don't touch him. But, you know, knowing his ain't it. She gonna look. I'm searching. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking. I see. I see bites. Percy bites. 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 And I was like, y'all look, look. The funeral home man said, don't touch. So I'm thinking, why you don't want to touch? Cause probably from the infection in his body, we may have a cut, and it would be something on us. Yeah. So we didn't touch him. But can you imagine? Can you imagine him streaming and him hollering, saying, "Help! They biting. They biting," and nobody come. It's a sad story. And one that a lot of folks are going to have to answer to in Fulton County. No doubt about it. Sheriff Pat Labatt is on the hook for this. In a statement earlier this month, Sheriff Labatt said, I've already held the executive staff responsible for jail operations accountable by asking for and receiving the resignations of the chief jailer, assistant chief jailer of housing, and assistant chief jailer, criminal investigative division. He said, Repercussions for anyone found to be negligent in Mr. Thompson's care could come once the full investigation is turned over to the GBI for review. He said, I remain 
committed to making sure the Thompson family receives the answers they need and deserve about the unconscionable circumstances surrounding Mr. Thompson's death. This is the sort of facilities management Atlanta Fulton County has to offer its citizens (laughs) while we are fundraising for tens of millions of dollars for an Atlanta police training facility. Do we need a campus to teach corrections officers who make, I believe, on average $51,000 a year in Fulton County, which is sadly 38% above the national average? Do Do we need a campus to teach corrections officers to deal with bed bugs when an inmate complains or to make sure that the mental wellness that an inmate with schizophrenia suffers from is delivered? Also, the resignations received, the terminations that will be coming. Will those people just be able to pick up and move, maybe just down to Clayton County if they want, and take a job there without repercussion? I mean, that's the thing. In the the prison and police and corrections industry, that's the thing. You lose your job for gross negligence or overreaction or what have you. And it's as simple as, uh, I'm just going to go to the other county. Or if it's really bad, okay, fine. Going to move halfway across the country. Just get a job in another town. And for the life of me, I'll never understand, like particularly on the right, they hate unions. They loathe unions, and yet they protect police unionization and covet those endorsements, covet those endorsements. Now, here's where I remind you, by the way, where we talked about the budget vetoes in the state budget. Brian Kemp lopped off $4 million that the GOP-led General Assembly had set aside to boost the pay of psychiatric hospital workers. Not sure how many of those crossed the threshold into the, the, the prison environment. But he also told the Behavioral Health Agency for the state to disregard, air quote disregard means it's there, but you can't spend it, disregard $24 million set aside for mental health crisis centers in Augusta, Fulton County, and Dublin, Georgia. And so maybe some of you are thinking blithely, and I, you know what, I don't want to think that my audience thinks like this, but there might be some right-wing nut job who tuned over to Check out what's going on here. There might be somebody listening who goes, well, whatever, he's a criminal. The man was in jail for a misdemeanor charge. Well, I'm not here to defend those who were negligent of this man and his care. Folks who work in public service for our cities and towns and counties and states, they're underpaid and they're overwhelmed. Listen to this from great Instagram follow, State Affairs GA, by the way. 26% of Georgia government workers are leaving their jobs, an all-time high for turnover. And this is causing some problems. And some departments are hurting more than others. More than a third of workers in social services, child welfare, and the Department of Behavioral Health left their jobs in 2022. And remaining employees say they're swamped and struggling to keep up with child neglect and abuse cases. Juvenile detention officers in Georgia, who earned a starting salary a little more than 37000 last year, Unreal. have an extremely high turnover rate. 96% for entry-level officers and 73% for all juvenile corrections officers. 
The advocacy director for Voices of Georgia's Children points out that child welfare work is particularly challenging. The pay is low, and many people may find the job hard and heartbreaking, she said. Georgia's state workforce is also aging, and some say that many younger workers don't stick around very long. State officials are working on trying to get younger workers to stay even four years, let alone 15, 20, or 30. This is the continued crumbling of governmental services at the local, state, federal level. Since 1981, there's been this attack on the term government and government service and the starving of funding for government services. Morale, so low people don't want to stay. Noble professions, teaching, mail carriers, police officers, so underpaid and underappreciated, future generations aren't growing up wanting to be them. This is unfortunately America getting what it asked for and definitely getting what it's hardly actually paying for. Back after this on The Ron Show, America One Radio. Welcome back to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to this show on. We appreciate you doing it no matter where it happens. You can listen to past days' episodes at ronshowetl.com on the podcast page, or again, on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And you can find your podcast links at ronshowetl.com as well. So, <laughs> while those of us on the left are hand-wringing about the militarization of our police departments or the neglect that's going on in our prisons or the insane fascism of book banning happening in schools, let alone checking, literally checking the lady parts or the male parts for middle school and high school athletes just to make sure. The right is pearl-clutching over satanic merchandise at Target? What? Saw this on Twitter this morning as I woke. Our friend Eric Erickson. Target has partnered with a company that promotes Satanism to produce its Pride clothing collection. Oh, wow. I mean, that's like a two-bird, one-stone swipe right there. Satanism and Pride merchandise. (laughs) Eric Erickson, let me read the entire tweet to you. Target has partnered with a company that promotes Satanism to produce its Pride clothing collection. If you thought Bud Light went too far, you might need to consider shopping elsewhere. Hmm. Is this cancel culture? Or is this okay to cancel because you agree with it? Remember cancel culture? That's wokeism, right? Cancel culture is wokeism. Does this make Eric Erickson woke? (laughs) No. No, we know that that's not the case. It's just curious how the cancel culture thing is okay when it's okay and it's wokeism when it's not. Here's the funny thing, though. (laughs) This company that Target is going to for its Pride merch doesn't actually sell satanic merchandise either. And they don't, by the way, sell the merchandise in question at Target at all. According to thestreet.com, 
As the backlash against Anheuser-Busch <laughs> and its brand Bud Light seems to be on a low simmer, conservative shoppers are turning their sights on other companies they believe are, quote, going woke. Most recently, Target. Target has become a different kind of target for right-wing volatility online. Again, from thestreet.com. Target has always been a supporter of LGBTQ plus rights. The mega retailer is one of the largest companies to have a 100 score on the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index. And over the years, it has, be, it has become famous for its LGBTQ plus clothing and accessories, which usually hit shelves just in time for Pride Month in June, which, by the way, just around the corner. But some of the anti-woke crowd has taken to the internet to rail against the company for its LGBTQ plus offerings. And some shoppers are now accusing the store of partnering with a Satanist. <laughs> British-based artist Aprolin contributed three designs to Target's 2023 Pride Collection. Two outer space-themed messenger bags and a sweatshirt reading Cure Transphobia but other items designed by the artists that have no association with Target have drawn ire. Again, thestreet.com reporting. And by the way, I'll, I'll share this link in the show notes. One item in a Prolin's shop features a pin that reads, Satan respects pronouns. Underneath the post, he explains that, quote, Satanists don't actually believe in Satan. He's merely used as a symbol of passion, pride, and liberty. The theme of the piece is plainly stated, LGBT plus people are so often referred to as being a product of Satan or going against God's will, so fine, we'll hang with Satan instead. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's sarcasm. <laughs> the street.com continues, but while right-wing dissenters have used an image of the pen, they fail to mention the bits about Satan existing as a metaphor. Let's go back to the tweet. Again, it's it's sarcasm. It's a metaphor. Eric Erickson's tweet. Target has partnered with a company that promotes Satanism, not really, to produce its pride clothing collection. If you thought Bud Light went too far, you might need to reconsider shopping elsewhere. Cancel culture. So, how many things is wrong in this tweet? Uh, first, Target has partnered with a company. Incorrect. It's Target, Target has partnered with an artist. That promotes Satanism. Nope, it's a metaphor. To produce its pride clothing collection. If you thought Bud Light went too far, you might need to reconsider shopping elsewhere. <laughs> Eric and his tribe are being mocked by the artist's merch. His outrage about this. Oh, and his fans. Oh my gosh, y'all, the tweets. The outrage just hilariously shows why they get caricaturized about this sort of stuff. It's spot on. It's spot on. And he walked right into it. It was like a trap that was laid by that British artist at Prelin. It's, it's like the, the guy set a trap. And Eric Erickson just walked right into it. Snap. You're in the trap. As are, as are his followers. Holy smokes. What do we have here? Uh, Daniel Ham. Well, target is toast. Uh, there was another one. <laughs> By the way, 
Liberals, I love you on Twitter. My God, the memes and the, oh God, so much funny. Uh, what was it? The uh, the MAGA Wheel of Outrage. I'm totally stealing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was a, a lady that posted a picture of merch that was also out at Walgreens. Yeah, this picture, oh, 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 oh. oh she deleted it. Well, good. Good. I think she realized the error of her voice. She posted a picture of a bunch of rainbow merch at Walgreens. It, it was literally just rainbow merch. There, there's no suggestive silhouettes like you see on the back of uh, 18-wheel truck flaps. None of that. Nothing suggestive like a, a Hooters or Twin Peaks server's attire. Just rainbow merch. It doesn't say be gay, be trans. It doesn't say anything. It's just rainbow merch, rainbow uh, buttons and rainbow skirt or uh, tutus, I think. Um, some rainbow suspenders and whoo, she was just she grabbed her kid and left. <laughs> I'm like, what's the issue here? It's just a rainbow patterned merchandise. Kids see worse on the pantyhose aisle or along that little section of personal lubricants at the Walgreens. I'm telling you, man, right wingers need trigger therapy because they get triggered so easily. They need a safe space. I mean, like the only place they can shop is like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. Good grief. You know, as an aside, this may be one of these tangent things. It takes up a few minutes because I need it to. Uh, I was making my lunch today, right? And I bought some salmon fillets earlier and uh, had some Brussels sprouts as well. And I like to, I like to like either broil or yeah I, I broiled them i like to broil brussels sprouts olive oil salt and pepper oh fantastic right and they're so good for you they're like little baby cabbages itty bitty baby cabbages and uh the salmon of course with it no potatoes no pasta nothing like that i'm trying to I'm trying to undo the bad eating i did in new orleans and last week when i wasn't exercising because i was just worn out from being in new orleans for four days so anyway i I, I'm making my lunch, and I took a photo of it because, well, that's what people do, right? We take pictures of our food now, and we post it on Instagram or Facebook. Like, hmm, look at me. I'm eating eating healthy. I don't take pictures when I'm in the drive-thru <laughs> at Crystal, but I'll take pictures of my healthy food the few times I'm actually making it. But I thought to myself, man, if you could tell 12-year-old yourself, like my 12-year-old version of me, that you would eventually come around to eating things like broccoli and cauliflower and learning how to make it so that you like it. And Brussels sprouts. I hated Brussels sprouts when I was a kid. Couldn't eat them. Then again, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, we were boiling things into (laughs) submission. So they weren't as good. They just weren't as good. But if you could tell, if I could tell 12-year-old me, listen, kid, one day you're going to, realize vegetables are good for you and you can make them good and, you know, not boil the tar out of them and all of the nutrition. But there, but the 12-year-old me also should know things like there's going to come a time where your being gay isn't going to be something you're ashamed of and that the folks who want to shame you of it are actually going to be the mocked. The clowns, the ninnies, the hyper-triggered, 
morons. And, okay, we're, we've arrived. I also have to remind 12-year-old me, I guess, if I'm going to tell 12-year-old me these things, uh, don't skip elections. I mean, I didn't. I've never, I don't think I have since I was 18. I can't think of an election that I ever skipped. Um, maybe when I was in Louisiana, maybe for a minute, a couple of cycles, one cycle, um, and deeply red state wasn't going to matter. Um, yeah, don't skip elections. And, oh, you know what? I would tell not just 12 year old me, well, 12 year old me wouldn't understand it, but I would definitely tell like 20 year old, 24 year old, 28 year old, 32 year old me to do a better job sticking up for your trans sisters and brothers. Because while I could tell 12-year-old me, it gets better, that it's it's actually, you get comfortable in your skin uh, at, a, at a point in your life where you don't hesitate to tell somebody that you might be gay, or might be that you are gay. At the same time, our trans community is under attack. And oh, by the way, I meant to point this out. It's not even as if these are all homegrown sort of bills that are coming out. I just tweeted this the other day. The Associated Press tweets, Similar proposals to restrict gender-affirming care for minors appeared in state houses across the U.S. this year. An AP analysis found the legislation was often pre-written and shopped out by a handful of conservative interest groups because they don't have an original thought in their head. This is an orchestrated, organized effort. And one day, I don't know, maybe not. I, you know, I don't have hope for this. I'd like to think, anyway, the optimist in me would like to think that one day the American voter the American public is going to learn that they're being conned. Like they were conned in 2004. Gay marriage was all over states' ballots in key swing states because George W. Bush was lagging in the polls and needed a boost. And damn if he didn't get it, and damn if he didn't get reelected. So here we have it again. Transgenderism. Which, by the way, is such a, a statistically minimal thing, it's not even funny. I saw another tweet that really made a lot of sense here. I'm going to read to you a few uh, passages. Uh, some studies suggest that the rates of regret in gender-affirming care declined over the years as patient selection and treatment methods have improved. In a review of 27 studies involving almost 8,000 teens and adults who had transgender surgeries, mostly in Europe, the U.S., and Canada, 1% on average expressed regret. <laughs> By the way, a recent study found that 20% of people who had knee surgery are unhappy with their knee replacements. 20% versus 1%. Research by Medical Accident Group found that 65% of people they polled regretted their breast implant surgery, though 28% were very happy with its results. According to the poll, 83% of people who had plastic surgery wouldn't consider having any form of cosmetic procedure again. And this, having kids. Every single day, the 2021 U.S. Adult Sexual Behaviors and Attitudes Study surveyed 1,518 adults aged 18 to 74 about parenthood. It found that 29% of U.S. adults said that they either do not want to have children or wish they had fewer children. We have no laws being hastily written by conservative groups 
to limit childbirth, to limit breast implants or cosmetic surgeries or knee surgeries, and all have higher percentages of regret than folks who had gender reassignment surgeries. Back after this on The Ron Show. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I talked earlier about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and their parent company being one of the big dollar donors for the Atlanta Police Foundation, the Atlanta Police Foundation, along with the Atlanta Police Department and uh, the mayor and many on city council steadfastly moving forward and optimistic about the Atlanta Police Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City in Southwest Cab, getting built. In fact, the AJC tweeted this, what day of the week was this? Yesterday, yesterday morning. Uh, an opinion piece with the tweet that read, Despite protracted protests, the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center appears to be a done deal. There's still votes to be had. Uh, anyway, the city council will next month almost assuredly approve the city's $30 million plus offering to make the 85-acre, $90 million facility happen. Uh, this piece by Bill Torpy, by the way, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. That piece appearing in yesterday's AJC, I, I don't know about the print edition, but online, there's no mention of the fact that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is owned by Cox, which is a large media company that has donated to the Atlanta Police Foundation, which wants the Atlanta Police Training Facility built. In a prior piece, by the way, Bill Torpy uh, characterized the 300 to none that showed up to speak to City Hall, City Council, that is, at City Hall, against Cop City. He characterized all 300 of them as uh, activists who were, quote, youngish and white. Youngish and white. So he's introducing ageism, and I'm not saying racism, but he's... Invoking race, as if to say, I, I don't know what is he. What what is the goal in pointing out that folks in the middle of the day who needed seven hours to hang out at City Hall to stand in line and wait to speak to City Council in the middle of a weekday? I, I don't understand what is what is the point of pointing out that a lot of the folks there were younger and. Say white, youngish and white activists, youngish and white. I mean, can we first of all point out that where the Atlanta police training facility is being built isn't even in city limits? Do residents of DeKalb County who are not city of Atlanta residents know that they can come to a city council meeting and speak? Or can they? I don't really know. What was what were the parameters? Also, folks got to work. Folks that had the flexibility to take the time off to, to, to speak, I mean, who cares what color they were? Why, why does that matter? But then Torpy is getting kind of petty on Twitter, where he kind of attacks a former member of the DeKalb County Board of Ethics, an Atlanta native by the name of Alex Joseph. Alex is a female, foster mom, she says on Twitter. Pro naps. Oh, well, I'm a thousand percent in her court right here. So she shared this uh, 
tweet earlier a day ago, as a matter of fact. Here, Bill Torpy saying that I resigned from the DeKalb County Board of Ethics because, quote, someone, an alternate board member, was, quote, calling me names. Let's look at what really happened because I think it directly relates to the Stop Cop City movement. Board of Ethics. And by the way, Alex Joseph took issue with the DeKalb County Board of Ethics meeting behind closed doors. You're a board of ethics. You don't need to ever, in my opinion, meet behind closed doors. And that's kind of how she felt, too. But Bill Torpy wanted to uh, minimize her, insult her, I guess, by stating, come on, didn't you have a problem at the DeKalb Ethics Board because someone was calling you a name? (laughs) He goes back on Twitter when she points out that he tweeted that statement and said, didn't say you resigned because of that. Said you had a problem with someone calling you names. You did. I just thought it was a twist. Incidentally, Bill Torpy actually once praised Alex Joseph for her efforts to bring sunshine to those closed-door DeKalb County Ethics Boards meetings. He also cited Alex Joseph attacking Bill Rankin, who is the legal affairs reporter, uh, also host of the Breakdown Podcast for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And he brought that up because this was four days ago. uh, Our friend, a friend of the show, Micah Herskind tweeted, this was four days ago when he tweeted this, yesterday an AJC reporter emailed my boss trying to get me in trouble over something I tweeted from my personal account about his colleague. Micah continues, well, joke's on you, you pathetic asshole, because today was my last day. Emailing people's bosses is truly the biggest loser He sent seven different emails over the course of the day, all from his AJC account. He even included an email that was, I mean, just churlish and petty. I even tweeted, I'm like, why shield his identity? Well, apparently here, within the last day or so, he decided to go ahead and say, no, it's it's Bill Rankin. Bill Rankin is the guy from the AJC who is emailing bosses of people he disagrees with on Twitter. This is how messy, and by the way, Bill Torpy, hats off to Bill Torpy for saying this, that in his opinion piece that the activists are stronger with the narrative than the city of Atlanta has been about what the Atlanta police training facility will be. I have said this and I'm still in this position. I'm not officially decided one way or the other, whether or not I'm for a police training facility or not. I understand the need for training facilities and I've never been to the, whatever the city of Atlanta uses now. Maybe it's deficient. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not wild about the environmental impacts and anything that can be done to mitigate the environmental impacts. In fact, not just that, but anything that can be done while this project is being built to undo past environmental impacts. Do better that region of DeKalb County. I'm all for. If it's part of the project, then I'm for that. See, I'm for that. I am, however, having some issues with the media coverage Except like local citizen journalists is all over this. The Xylom.com, by the way, a fantastic follow. Their editor is Georgia Tech student journalist Alex Ip. He's the one that had his account of the training center reporting pulled from Georgia Tech publications. And then, like I said, the AJC has just not, in my opinion, done a very good job of reminding every time they report on this issue that they're owned by a company, an entity that supports the Atlanta Police Foundation fiscally. Gives money to them that's going to this facility. Write all the opinion pieces you want. But you said it yourself, Mr. Torpy. 
that city officials have done a poor job explaining what this facility will be for. Having citizen input boards and then kicking people off of them and then starting another board and then having those meetings in secret. See, I mean, it's, it's, this isn't the activist's fault. Call that out, Bill. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. Only because I'm out of time. I could go on and on and on. And, and you know what? I'm going to reach out to Alex Zip. Uh, I'd like to have him on. We'll get Micah on. I'd like to get his story. Like, what's, what's this craziness about the AJC trying to get you fired? What the? That's not your job, Bill Rankin. That's not your job. Oh, my God. That's nuts. Just report. And by the way, disclose. Disclose. Always. We say that in real estate. When in doubt, always disclose. Always disclose. This is no different than the Trump stuff, if you ask me. If you act like you're hiding something, and the Clintons were, Hillary was so bad about this. If you act like you've got something to hide, but you don't, the act of acting like you've got something to hide makes people doubt you. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Have a great one.